gave me a bottle of power. Powerade. There's enough power in this room to change Alcoholics Anonymous. Or at least blow the roof off this church tonight. Did I say I'm Joe Hawk and that I'm a recovered alcoholic? First promise, first page, first edition, first printing. You either believe it or you don't. Most people that say they're recovering aren't. First speaker I ever heard was from Texas, Jimmy Williams. He said you can stay sick in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous as long as you want, you'll have plenty of company. He said, or you can get well in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous and you'll have plenty of company. You just got to choose the company you want to you want to hang with. I like movies. Matter of fact, if, when you live in Los Angeles for ten years, sometimes you get a little confused between movies and AA meetings. It all kind of starts to blur, right? And I thought of two movies tonight. One for you older folks, The Godfather, Godfather One. And there was a famous conference of mob bosses called Appalachia. The other one's a little more current with, I think, uh, Robert De Niro and uh, Billy Crystal. It has a lot to do, the title has a lot to do with Alcoholics Anonymous. It's called Analyze This. <clears throat> that joke can be perceived any way you like it. And they had a conference of mob bosses. And I was thinking, you know, that's kind of like what it's like here tonight. We have representatives from the Bronx, the Godfather, Sydney, and the Godmother, Loretta. She's the boss. He knows it. Most guys don't. We have representatives from Staten Island. New Jersey. And there's an interesting thing going on. Every one of you. Anybody here tonight not interested in the work in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous? Maybe you will be. You're welcome. You are welcome among people that do the work. But we're not always welcome among people that don't do the work. <clears throat> and they're not always welcome among us. It took us a long time in Santa Monica and a lot of ridicule. They've been doing it now at this home group in Santa Monica for 15 years. I got sober. In Texas, we give our sobriety date. It's about bragging. <laughs> or, if you don't have much time, it's about letting everybody feel sorry for you in the room. <laughs> My sobriety date, I was given this gift. August 17th, 1982, and for that I am very grateful. And I express that gratitude through action. Because I've had times where, and I was not on hiatus for five years, let me tell you. <laughs> There's drums in India. I was just at spiritual boot camp because I'd worn myself a lot, out a little bit with self-indulgence in the fellowship and the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, doing what you all told me to do to stay sober. But I found out something about that, too. I found out, you know, 
You know, sometimes speakers say, I don't have much to share tonight, and you go, oh, damn. <laughs> We're in for it, right? Some speakers say, I'm not going to tell you much about my drunk log. And you go, holy shit. <laughs> Fifty-five minutes later, your old lady leans over to you and says, I think I want him to get sober more than his own family did, right? <laughs> I got a lot to say. I'm bubbling over, you know? I've been saving it up. People that do the work in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous make fun of people that don't do what's in the big book. But if, but if anybody in the room has ever written inventory about those motherfuckers that don't have to do what's in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, you probably saw something. You're pissed at them because you have to and they don't. <laughs> Some of them get better and better and better. And you're six, I made it six months in the grace of God and in Los Angeles, California, where I moved a few years later, one of the big slogans in South Central was, the grace of God is sufficient. Not for me. A lady in our group once said, grace lasts only as long as ignorance, but when you see some truth, you need some power to do something with the truth you've seen. And I thought, damn. Some men in Alcoholics Anonymous, myself included, miss a whole facet of life from discounting women in Alcoholics Anonymous that you can learn about half of yourself. You know, don't tell one of these guys, where's my buddy? Where, where is he? Don't tell some of these guys from Brooklyn or Staten Island that within every being there's male and female. You think I had trouble getting in touch with my inner child? I didn't ever have no trouble getting in touch with my inner child. I've been desperately seeking for an inner adult. <laughs> and when I've gotten a glimpse of him, I don't like him. I don't want to be an adult. <laughs> but something happens when you get some power in your life. You know, lack of power aid is not my dilemma. There's a group in San Francisco of friends of ours who call themselves the Lopwads. Now, what the hell's a Lopwad? I said, what the hell's a Lopwad? They said, we call ourselves lack of power as a dilemma. I said, you all keep doing the work, you're going to have to change your name to Hopwads. She said, why? I said, because having power is a fucking dilemma, too. <laughs> Nelson Mandela wrote a very, very powerful poem when he was 26 years in a prison cell. And he said in that poem, I can't quote it, but he said most people are more afraid of real power and light than they are of remaining irresponsible, powerless, and in the darkness. And you can stay sick as long as you want. Now, here's how powerful my ego is. And I don't want to fuck anybody up, but you can use the work to, to avoid doing the work. Let me say that again. You can use the work in the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous to avoid doing the work in the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. How does that look? One through nine and a half. <laughs> Telling people you've had a spiritual awakening as a result of the steps. You haven't had a spiritual awakening as a result of the steps. You've had an amazing spiritual awakening as a result of one through nine and a half. And then you've rested on your laurels. And those laurels start to prick your ass, right? They go from comfort to pain. And then you even like that because we're used to that too. That's just back to a normal condition. 
It was a little scarier when you were comfortable and had wisdom power. And then you go, got to get in another workshop. They're doing another workshop, one through nine and three quarters. <laughs> 10, 11, and 12, have some fun, do something with some power, become effective. I've even seen people use 12 to avoid nine. You know, I might not be finishing the men's, but I'm working with a lot of people. You know, why are you working with a lot of people? Because uh, 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 you're supposed to carry the message to stay sober. If you working with people can keep you sober, then there must be something you can do to keep yourself sober. And there must be a first step reservation. And it took some work to see that. I went to a guy one time, scary guy, he moved to LA from... I should back up just a second. I drink enough alcohol to need to do the work. <laughs> what does the drama have to do with it? Ten treatment centers, we've all seen people go to treatment a lot more than ten times who are not alcoholic. Grew up rich, grew up poor, abused, not abused, white, black, from Harlem, Bedford, wherever you're from, doesn't matter. As long as you got this little if-only story. If only I hadn't grown up in that family. We hear a lot about the yets, you know, and they talk about the yets in California. I haven't done that yet. But have you ever heard about the if-onlys? If only my daddy hadn't been 60 when I was born. By the time I was 10, he was 70. That used to cause me great pain in therapy. Now that I've woken up a little bit, it gives me a tremendous amount of hope for at least the next 10 years of my life. I've been places where you have to have actually explain that joke. Because I'd like to be doing what my dad was doing when I'm 60 years old, right? Doesn't take a brain science to figure that out. <clears throat> Unfortunately. Fortunately, I'm following in my father's footsteps. I've been a little out of shape for the last three years, but that's okay. That's another story. So what does it matter what kind of family I grew up in? You got this little if-only stuff. If only I hadn't gone to that school with those guys. If only they hadn't sent me to the East Coast. I got strong connections here in this area. The power is increasing. It's starting to glow. Stand away from the speaker. I got a big connection with this area. Ninth grade, they sent me from Battle Creek, Michigan. Didn't know what to do with me. Because I had a profound spiritual awakening. They thought the boys, the, the boys' behavior just changed. If you listen to a real alcoholic talk about his first drunk, and you listen to a real alcoholic talk about his last drunk, they're both spiritual awakenings. One wakes you up like you've never been woken up, and one wakes you up like you've never been woken up. What's the difference between the awakening that you had the first time alcohol worked? You listen to a real alcoholic get in touch with the first time it worked. Doesn't mean it's the first time you drank. The first time it worked. And every promise halfway through the ninth step came true. Not the eleventh step promise. We have groups all around this country who think there's only twelve promises. They'll call them the twelve promises of Alcoholics Anonymous. Halfway through the ninth step, you'll be amazed. I'm sitting in the back. I'll never get those promises because I ain't never fucking making it through halfway through the ninth step. 
halfway through the ninth step is going to mean going all around the country. I lived in a lot of places. The me that comes to one is not the me that gets to nine. A guy said to Mark Houston one time, because Mark talked about getting current. I wish there was a better word. I've been looking for a better word for a long time. Current. That place you used to dream about. If I could just start again. If I could just start over. Which is with some of these people. If we could just start from ground zero, that would be a big improvement. Mark was talking about getting current. There is a better word for it. Entering the world of the spirit. And it ain't halfway through nine. It's on the other side of your first set of amends when you're current. Not that you haven't had an amazing spiritual awakening. Promises you that. Way before nine. After five, you've had some spiritual ideas. Now you've begun to have a spiritual awakening. Halfway through nine, some amazing promises. But then it says you enter the world of the spirit. <clears throat> that day from when your head to your heart goes the realization, I don't know anybody. I got some that'll be ongoing, maybe the rest of my life, but I've gone to everybody I possibly could. <clears throat> you can't get yourself to that place from step one. So here I was, this kid, took a drink, age 12, woke up. I wasn't quiet, withdrawn, and silent anymore. I could say what I wanted. I could dance with the little girls across the room. Some power came into my life. And you listen to a real alcoholic talk about his first drunk when it first worked. And they're not just saying, oh, it sounded like it was going to be fun. I saw some people doing it. They're going to talk about connecting to something within themselves that they felt disconnected from once they look back on it. They're going to fit every description of untreated alcoholism on page 52 before they ever took a drink. Restless, irritable, discontent, didn't fit, felt like an alien from another planet, trouble with personal relationships, <laughs> couldn't control my emotions. And anybody, if you're new here, and you were damaged like I was from drugs and alcohol, and you're able to be here in the grace of God, thank God for every drop you ever drank. Don't hate the shit that brought you here. And I don't want to debate, but I believe this. Maybe God used alcohol and drugs to bring you back to Him. <clears throat> Who's brought more people to God than the devil? Virtue? Happiness? Money? No. Crack. I heard, I heard this the other day. I thought it was funnier now. Now, I don't want to say anybody in this room is a crack addict. But a lot of you all look crackish. That's a funny shit. Crackish. Thank God for every drop I ever drank. And you know the ones that get to say that? We think we're the fortunate ones. God, we're the chosen ones to be in Alcoholics Anonymous. A lot of our friends got to get free. They paid their ticket. They got to go. We're still paying our ticket. We've got to be right here suffering. Suffering, but still suffering. And sometimes you're suffering because you can't get still, and that's why you're still suffering, because you can't get still. My sponsor always said, the goal is to get in touch with a quiet, still voice within, and you're never going to hear it if there's loud noises from the past. <clears throat> I know about being there. 
I took a drink, I had an awakening. They didn't know what to do with me. They sent me to the East Coast. Unfortunately uh, for me, unfortunately for everybody else, it was one of the number one drug schools in the East Coast, outside of Worcester, Mass. Uh, Timothy Leary and Ram Dass, Richard Alfred, had one of their guys there making LSD, using the school as a front. And I went from Boone's Farm Apple Wine, <laughs> kid drinking, weekend kid drinking, loved it, to LSD 25 in a four-month period at age 12. <laughs> Real LSD. After five years of that, we called it LS Chicken. <laughs> yeah. He said, his brother said to me one night at his meeting in Dallas, I shared something. His brother looked at me and his brother said, I, I'd like to have you sit right across. They sit in this big room reading a book to these people that are just on fire. Him and this old boy, his brother and this old boy. And his brother said, I'd like to see you sitting right across from me because I want to look at you. And I shared some one night, and his brother said, I don't know what drugs you were doing in high school, but I wish I would have had some. <laughs> I used to give his brother hell every week. Because <clears throat> we love each other. And how can people that do the work in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous be experiencing disunity? How can you continue doing the work and get further away from the people that brought you to it? How can you be gossiping about them and them of gossiping about you and your gossiping about them? That's why we've come together here tonight. We got the five heads of the five families of the New York Mafia together. Appalachia too. Big book Appalachia too. That should be the name of the cop. Please raid this motherfucker. Take a lot of us to jail. Just like in the movies, huh? You're under arrest for having too much power in your life. We don't like people. A lot of you know what they do with people in America to get free. They killed every one of our heroes, white or black. They kill people to get free. Same in Alcoholics Anonymous. Because there's a lot of people that want to kill you. They want you dead because they want to stay sick. They want to have plenty of company. And you're messing up their company. You're messing up their comfort. You're messing up the grace of God. But I'll tell you what I found out about my judgment of people that don't have to do the work. Not only was I pissed off that they don't have to, and I do, I was taken to a place where I loved doing the work, and I saw that my judgments about people that don't have to was about my own agnosticism, because I believed God was working in my life, but I didn't believe God was working in Alcoholics Anonymous the way I thought he should. Because you know what? We're surrounded by people in Alcoholics Anonymous. God bless them. They don't have to do the work. Let them be. Be there for the guys that need to. And carry the message to everybody. It ain't about ragging on the fellowship. It's about love and service. It's about love and service. But I remember a man that was there in a room similar to this on a Friday night in 1982, and his name was Don Pritz. His name is Don Pritz. He didn't want to be there that night. He didn't go to that treatment center because those people might or might not have been alcoholic. He told me he went to that treatment center because he's alcoholic. That's why we be in service. Because we're alcoholic, not what they're doing. We should be in the places we disagree with their philosophy more than any other place on the planet. Sorted spots. <clears throat> I've been in sorted spots in Beverly Hills much more sorted than my friend Sydney's place in, in the Bronx. Because sorted ain't how it looks. Sorted is whether there's any life there or not. 
first meetings in South Central Los Angeles, I love to speak there because they testify. And if they like it, you know it. And if they don't like it, you know it. And that's what I like about New Yorkers. Because with North, New Yorkers, it's either fuck you or I love you. There ain't nothing in between. <laughs> Los Angeles is just like, yeah, you're cool. <laughs> God said to me tonight, he said, you're not from L.A. I never sit there. And I was just thinking about it the other day. My best friends in Los Angeles are all from New York. <laughs> Jaime and Shelley, God bless them. Got sober under the Brighton Beach boardwalk. Couldn't find the message. Given the grace of God, they made it for a year. They'd start going to meetings, Houston and Derek. And we're talking 15 years ago. They hear shit like one step a year. Imagine 12 years before you could be in the 12th step. When do you get to carry the message? When you're 12? I wish Bill would have believed that. We wouldn't be here. Bob would have been fucked, right? Uh, let me get back to you, Bob. I'll, I'll get back to you in about 11 years. I gotta stay in New York for 11 years. I'll be out there when I'm 12. Didn't even have a book. Ain't about the book. Ain't about the book. I've worshipped the book. I heard in Denver when I got sober, read the book, go to meetings, work the steps, get a sponsor. My mind said, then those are the things that will keep me sober. You, but you know what I failed to realize? I already was. Six months later, I've seen people do the book better, work the steps, had better sponsors, spend more time with them, knew the book inside out, went to ten times more meetings than me, drink again. Hit bottom with the second half of step one. Heard a lady, heard a lady use a phrase the other day, I can't take the credit, I haven't said it more than three times, I just heard it the other day, a sister from LA who's in Dallas, got sober in our group in Santa Monica, she said, you know what happened? I got stuck on the dash. <laughs> and you can get stuck on the dash going forward, but you can get stuck on the dash going backwards. I'll tell you what that means. Ask the guy tonight at dinner, tell a brother. Mad dog. I know he's a mad dog. He's forgotten. I said to him, where are you at? He said, I got some amends left. But my life's great. I said, those amends have anything to do with you drinking again? Nope. He's stuck on the dash going backwards because it was about the unmanageability of his life. He got through a nine and a half. His life got better. And it stopped because it wasn't about being powerless over alcohol anymore. Anybody in amends right now for the first time, seventh time, fourth time, third time, I'm going to give you a prayer, it's going to fuck your head up. <laughs> Here's the prayer. Close your ears if you don't want to hear it, because once you hear it, it's going to fuck you up whether you say the prayer or not. <laughs> Here's the prayer. Dear God, please show me if these unfinished amends have anything to do with whether I drink again or not. Amen. Because <clears throat> you know what happens? The further away you get from one, the further away you get from one. And you know, I actually have a mind that says this. Step one's only true when you're in it. You know, when you're formally, when you're going with a sponsor from the title page, three parts of the program, you know. <clears throat> doctor's opinion, Bill's story, there's a solution, more about alcoholism. The first step's true. But now you've done some work. And now you don't really have a drinking problem anymore. You have living problems that amends are going to straighten out. 
and the men straighten them out. And everything on 52 starts to change. And you do it 10 and 11 out of virtue. There ain't no desperation anymore. Ah, if I do it in the morning, I do it. If I don't, I don't. Because they told me in my home group, don't beat yourself up. Well, I'll tell you what. If you're not beating yourself up, alcohol will beat you the fuck up. Excuse my language. <laughs> I just have to see my friend Sydney, and something happens. Because <clears throat> this ain't a room full of people who had a crack in the pool today. Or a flat tire on the way getting here. Most of the people in this room, even if you're still debating, it's probably about life and death. And I like to be in rooms with people where it's about life and death. But sometimes people like me that think it's, that it was about life and death, it's not about life and death anymore. It's about life and life, a great life. And what happens when you get free of the fear of dying? I, was, I wasn't afraid when you told me when I was new to drink again is to die. You know why I'm not, I'm not afraid of that? I've been on the streets. I grew up halfway between Detroit and Chicago. I've been in the penitentiary. When safe drivers save for not answering their phone while driving, they feel like a big deal. Sorry Did you about get the that. Ice? Even if they forgot. For me to drink is to die might be a hopeful promise of Alcoholics Anonymous. You know what scared me though? You might go on living a long time feeling the way you're feeling this long sober, dying an alcoholic death. Because an alcoholic death usually takes a long time. <clears throat> and I've had to be reminded of that from time to time. And what do you need to be reminded of that? You need to be around people that care more about whether you live or die than your sensitive alcoholic feelings and how what they might say might make you feel. There's some stuff you gotta quit caring about, but there's some stuff you gotta start caring about. You gotta quit caring about what anybody thinks about what you have to say. And you think that was easy speaking around the country when I thought I was a controversial big time speaker? Because you know what? I still thought I could help alcoholics. And you know what? I don't look for people I can help anymore. Because you know what you end up with when you look for people you can help? You end up with people that a human power can help. You know who I look for? People that nobody can help, and I point into that which can. Because when I went to Don and I said, I thought you told me, reading the book, working the steps, getting a sponsor, and going to meetings, is what would keep me sober? He said, no, no, no. We hoped all those things would get you in touch with something that already is keeping you sober. That's what I forget. I'm not going to talk that you're passing the basket. She comes from the right church, though. You pass the basket at the right time. Before they get pissed off. Because the next speaker, the next speaker is not as nice as I am. I'm a nice guy. <laughs> so you're 15 years sober. You're in Santa Monica, California. You've been five years in Denver. A lot of work with some great people. My heroes are still in Denver. Why it's in Denver, I don't know. We probably all feel about that way where we got sober. But there are some giants in Alcoholics Anonymous around this country. I was five years in Denver. Moved to L.A., I was there 10 years. So right around 12 or 13, I've been there eight or nine years. A guy moves from LA, from, Cal from Denver to Los Angeles. And of course, he's the guy that I have to go to to go through the work. 
He's the only one that can take Joe Hawk through the work. Man, that's fucked up, isn't it? I run down there. He says, I remember you from our group in Denver. You've been on some of our retreats. He said, you want to do the work? I said, yeah. He said, why? I asked everybody I work with that question. Is this work what you want to do? Are you willing to go to any length? Why do you want to do the work? And why the fuck with me? Because by the time they leave my house, that's what I'm asking myself. Why me? Because right? I don't get healthy, well-adjusted people in alcoholic Anonymous. You're looking for healthy, well-adjusted people in alcoholic Anonymous? Give up. Even in a recovered state, we're some fucked up people, man. We don't fit out there in the normal world. What do you mean you had to do this, this, and this to get some power in your life? I just walked into church, heard a great sermon, realized when I do this, this, and this, this happens. I started doing it in my life, and I just quit doing it. What's wrong with you? I don't know. Lack of power, right? Then you get some power, and you're still not like other people. But you got to live out there in the world, in it, but not of it. Because we get to live from another place. We get to live as members of the fellowship of the Spirit, not just members who have experienced the Spirit of the fellowship. That's why they call that. The, the big book talks about two fellowships. And isn't it interesting? One at the beginning of the work. Some of us walked into our first meeting. Some of us had a major awakening just saying, my name's Joe and I'm an alcoholic. That can be an amazing experience. Feeling people that share in a common problem. And then they tell you stuff to build up your ego. Right away they build up your ego. Maybe we need that when we're new. We need some ease and comfort. And they start off by telling you, you're the most important person in the room. You go, well, finally I'm in a room where they realize my importance. <laughs> but imagine if the room was just filled with newcomers who share in a common problem. The county jail would have worked for every one of us the first time we went. If all you need is a room full of people who share in a common problem, okay, newcomers might be the, the blood of Alcoholics Anonymous, but you know, blood needs a heart to run through, and that's the people that shared with us who didn't want to be there on a Friday night, who didn't want to be in that treatment center, who didn't agree with their philosophy, who didn't care who was alcoholic or who wasn't, or who was doing the work and who wasn't. He was there to save his own ass because he was alcoholic. And if you think I'm still doing this out of virtue, or some great enlightenment from India, or that I transgressed alcoholism, you're mistaken. Suffering never ends, but freedom doesn't either, and they're always both right there. It's just layer after layer after layer. And you can focus on the suffering, or you can focus on the spirit of the universe that is there every single moment. It ain't going nowhere. And that's a dilemma. That ain't always frolicking off to God with your sponsor down the rosy red path. The spiritual path can be lonely in Alcoholics Anonymous. Try to find as many people as you can in this area that have gotten current with every amendment they're consciously aware of. Don't ask them, have they been through the steps? A lot of people will tell you, I've been meeting some recently. How many times have you been through the steps? Three? Really? Cool. Let's hang out. Have another conversation. You still got some amends from your first time through? Yeah. 
You still got some amends from your second time through? Yep. Then why are you telling people you've been through the steps three times when all you've done, you've never completed eight or nine? Would you tell people you've been through the steps if you didn't finish four? Would you tell people you've been through the steps if you hadn't finished your fifth step? No. Then why do you tell people you've been through the steps when you haven't finished the last word in eight or nine? But you've had a major awakening. You've had a major awakening. Your life has taken off. Everything from page 52 has changed. But you got lost going backwards on the dash because the amends don't have shit all to do with alcohol and drugs anymore. So you just say, dear God, please show me if these unfinished amends have anything to do with whether I drink again or not. And you might get reminded that nine is connected to the first half of step one. And your reason to do 10 and 11 ain't about virtue or because you become a wonderful saint. It's because you're powerless over alcohol and drugs. <clears throat> with a manageable life, with power in your life, with responsibility, don't you wish sometimes when you're alone after a meeting sometimes and you've done a lot of work in AA that you could just go back to being ignorant and not knowing some of that shit? You know, just kind of glide through AA with the grace of God. Today I have a choice. I don't know what you big book Nazis. Imagine what would be in somebody's heart. Imagine what would have to be in, in some, a lot of you in this room know what I mean. Imagine what would have to be in somebody's heart to use the word Nazi about another member of the program that you're in that saved them too, maybe. Or maybe they're just the type one. The big book describes four types. Had a major awakening in his brother's group this year reading the chapter to the wise. Why do I need to read the chapter to the wise? I've never had one. <laughs> That's like thinking you've been through the steps a few times. You don't need to read the chapter to the agnostic again, because how could you have current agnosticism? You were agnostic once, and it ain't never going to happen again, because you chose God as everything. But see, the fucked up thing about choosing God as everything, you're the one going to the well with the container. Your conception of everything this time. Is your conception of everything this time the conception you had 19 years ago? Are you operating in the world of spirit from an inventory from 20 years ago? I can barely operate in the world today from an inventory from two years ago, doing 10 and 11, studying with the Dalai Lama, with a great teacher in a place where there was nothing but time. I submit myself to a person that I respect, who's had a spiritual awakening, deeper and deeper and deeper, who's a mad dog. He's a type four that needs to do type four work. <clears throat> type four people can't get by on type two work. I go to a man who's a type 4, but he does type 4 work. He's been on the other side of amends many times. And I know I'm not going to him, and he knows I'm not coming to him. And we know we're not going to a process either, because we've gotten free of worshiping the person we go to. That's what that's cool about that. We get free of worshiping the person we go to, and we get free of the process that we used to worship too, because it's about going to a deeper relationship with God. He gave me some questions. I've been in a set-aside prayer longer this time and the first three steps than any time I've ever been through the work in 20 years and saw you don't have to be fucked and got free of a major pattern that I want to talk about for a minute because for 15 years in Alcoholics Anonymous I suffered from a belief that goes like this if it feels good 
it's good. And if it feels bad, it's bad. So anything that makes me feel bad, it could actually possibly be the devil, as a matter of fact. <laughs> anything that makes me feel bad, I'm going to stay away from. And became so good at 10 and 11 that I was just going around stuff rather than through it. Because I have a mind that says you cannot be in pain, fear, resentment, depression, emotional pain, physical pain, and at peace at the same time. So, if you're in pain, you got to do whatever you need to do to get back to comfort. And a man took 30 of us on a retreat. A scary guy. This guy, this guy said, I've been coming to this group for six years. I know what you bastards want. You want me to do all the work this weekend, and I'm not going to. Gave a one-hour talk on worshiping comfort, thinking that it's God. Sent us back to our rooms to write an assignment. How many of my attitudes, beliefs, and actions have to do with the idea that if it feels good, it's good, and if it feels bad, it's bad? I went back to my room. I wrote some stuff. Read it to him the next day. He looked at me and said, Hawk, I've known you for 13 years. You've been a part of my group. You've been on some of our retreats. You've been out here. You've been working with others. I got one question for you. I said, what? He said, what are you getting ready for? I said, what? He said, everything you read to me was about, well, maybe when I'm... Or maybe when I have this much, or maybe after this next relationship, or maybe after the next retreat, then I'll... He said, what are you getting ready for? And some whole stuff broke open in my life. I believe in having spiritual teachers. You know why? It might not be true in this area. Like I said, I don't want to say anybody in this room is a crack addict. You might look crackish. And I don't want to say anybody in this room is a real alcoholic. But a lot of you look to, look to be alcoholic. And you know what? It is really hard to find out about growing spiritually in Alcoholics Anonymous. I hate to say it. You know why? Because those that are free will tell you to go have your own experience and be taken where your heart takes you. They won't do it for you because they're free. They're not going to say, pick this teacher and this book and this tradition. They're going to say, your heart will guide you. And those that aren't free are going to say, meditation is about listening, prayer is about talking. It's about as far as it's going to go. And I no longer see the spiritual life inside of AA separate from the spiritual life outside of AA because all I got anymore is a life. That's like a couple. I don't want to rag on any married couples. And I believe it's good to have whatever group you want to go to. But imagine this. The person in your life you say you love the most. You've made a commitment to spend the rest of your life together, but you keep your program separate. Now, ain't that fucked up? With the most important person in your life, you're going to keep the most important thing in your life and the most important relationship you both have in your life separate. You bring God into your marriage or you ain't got no hope. You bring your you know what I would love to have one day, and I've seen it in our group in Santa Monica, I would love to have a mate that I would ask if we could go through the work together People have done it. Imagine reading inventory to your wife. Can't do that! <laughs> now let me get that straight. The most important person in my life that I want to spend the rest of my life with and share the spiritual journey with the most, relation, most important relationship we both have, which is with God, we're not going to share it. 
because I can't read that stuff to her. That's why you keep fucking her over and they keep having to make amends because you're keeping that stuff from her. And you know what? Sometimes you got to get honest with people that are close in your life before you make amends and let the chips fall. I've had to do it. Not with distant people, not with vague relationships. I've had to go to some of the closest people in my life and say, I've lied to you about this. I've lied to you about this. I didn't tell you about this. I'll be back when you're ready to see me to make amends because that's the truth. There it is. That ain't easy. You're going to hide behind amends and say, well, my sponsor told me I can't tell you this. My sponsor told me I can't tell the most important person in my life this. My home group told me I can't tell her this. Imagine a sponsor editing your amends list. Every amends your sponsor has told you not to make is another piece of freedom they're taking you away from to help you stay sick, sick and dependent and stuck on them because they love collecting babies. That's what they call them in California. I never did. I got friends. Who, who gets help more, the sponsor or the sponsee? Anybody that's worked with people, answer that. If you haven't worked with people, or you're coming to this thing this weekend, and you're expecting Mark and I to do the same thing from 15 years ago, you're in big fucking trouble. Because <laughs> we don't care anymore. We care about whether you live or die, but not about being popular. We weren't popular when we were trying to be popular. <laughs> get free how free do you want to be my sponsor told me i can't go back to the five major female relationships in my life he might as well have given you a razor blade because they're probably the five most important amends that you owe i heard a thing the other night a guy said i never make amends without going to my sponsor first john fritz he told me to pray first and if i was confused then maybe we would talk but he always pointed me to god that's all we are that's all we can be Pointers. That's all we are. Pointers. They call you, go to God. They call you, it ain't going to come from me. I can't manage my own life. I need God. Go to God. Call God. Pray. Pray about it. Shut up. Mark does some shit where he'll put a motherfucker on a timer. Right? Hello? Yes, you got two and a half minutes. Ready? Go. Time's up. is an obsessive <laughs> Anybody ever had an email from Mike Lawrence? He was emailing people in Buffalo, Philadelphia, Baltimore, which is just our house. I know he's alcoholic. I know he's alcoholic. He's a mad dog. Maybe next time you'll, you'll reply to one. Don't reply. It's a devil machine. i got to see you face to face. I'm not sitting in front of one of those things. <laughs> Click. That's all I can do. Turn it on, turn it off. Delete. Thank you. I put things like this. Give me a call or I'd like to see you. Oh, that leads me to what I really wanted to talk about. Everyone in this room should write a letter to GSO, General Service Conference, or an email at least. Because you know what? They really made a big mistake. And they made a big mistake for the first time since they were able to change the book since 1976. They made a, a, a big mistake that some people haven't noticed yet on the paper cover. You know why? 
Because we get to take a cover, we crumble it up and throw it away because we're more ashamed of being sober than we were of being drunk. And anybody that breaks your anonymity has made you feel shame because you're more ashamed of being sober than you were ashamed of being drunk. Anonymity, you know what Dr. Bob said? It's as harmful not to use your last name here in the fellowship as it is to use your name out in the public at the level of press, radio, and TV. But you know what they did on the paper cover? You know how it used to say, and I didn't see it for a long time, it used to say in one of those paragraphs, the first 164 pages is the AA message. Man, that would help a lot of people that want to debate what's the message. You go to a service conference, they're talking about trinkets, posters, badges, this. You ask one question, what was Bill Wilson's definition of service? anything that makes carrying the message possible. And he asked one simple question, the whole room will go into an uproar. What's the message? Whoa! Just don't drink no matter what? <clears throat> it told us right on the paper cover until two years ago, whenever the fourth edition came out, it said, page one through 164 is the AA message. You know what it says now in the fourth edition? Page one through 164 had been the basis for many of you poor alcoholics. <laughs> they didn't say poor alcoholics, but they say it had been the basis for many alcoholics. And the way the attitude, the way it sounds is, they might as well have said those poor ones that have to do what's in this book. So they don't even say 1 through 164 is the message anymore. Then they said another fucked up thing in the forward to the fourth edition. Modem to modem, face to face, a meeting online is the same as your home group here tonight. Let me tell you this. I'm going to go online and say, Hi, my name's Susie. I'm 19 years old. I need a meeting. Anybody want to help me? What am I going to say? My name's Joe. I'm 20 years sober. I'm a fat old guy. Smoke cigarettes. And I need some attention because I'm 20 years sober and I'm dying of untreated alcoholism because I can't get myself to a meeting. Fuck that. They should have said... It could help you get in touch with us. It might be helpful if you're out of the country. It might be helpful if you're a loner or an internationalist. But I'm telling you, I can sit in this room and I don't know a lot of you. It's nice to have some friends here tonight. It's nice to have a couple guys at my side that I know if anybody rushes the stage, I'm going to be backed up. Because it could be any one of you. <laughs> especially the ones that know me. He said some shit at the beginning about if you know them, that's why you're here. Shit. In Los Angeles, there's people that know me that don't go because I'm going to be there. Because right? I'll ask some questions. Our group asks each other questions in the meeting, out of the meeting, and after the meeting for 15 years. Questions are a part of our format. Folks can't ask questions in an AA meeting. You ever walk into a meeting with one of your best friends, and the moment you walk through the door, the friendship is like, hi, Chris. How are you? Oh, hi, Joe. After the meeting, it's like, those motherfuckers. <laughs> and in the meeting, you can't talk. You can't say nothing to each other. So in Santa Monica, we ask each other questions. <clears throat> you do the work. You have, a, you have a spiritual awakening as a result of the steps. Not a result of one through nine and a half, nine and three quarters, nine and three eighths. Don't use 12 to keep from doing the work. Don't use going back to one to keep from living some periods of time in love in 10, 11, and 12, dancing and having fun. Get on the other side of your immense. Because if you're alcoholic or addict, 
they're directly connected with you drinking and using again, even if it doesn't feel that way, because sober, don't let ease and comfort fool you. A lot of people have gone out behind ease and comfort, and a lot of people have gone out behind pain, and a lot of people have gone on not feeling much at all, because there's a lot of you in this room tonight with reservations that a human power in the form of a pill is going to treat what you suffer from. Some of you need it. Some of you need a drink. But some of you need to do the work and get free and find out if it was untreated alcoholism or some other disease that needs to be treated. Take the treatment. Take the treatment. Don't debate. Don't come to this thing this weekend if you're coming to tell us about experience you haven't had. We ain't going for opinions. We're going to share experience. This is what it's like. Tell them when you're suffering when you're 15. Tell them when you're suffering when you're 20. Go to somebody when you're 20 with somebody who's hot in your group. The ones that are hot are the ones that aren't telling you they're hot. The ones that are telling you they're hot, don't go to them. Because everybody's going to them. Because they got to go to somebody who's hot. And I'm hot. And I'm going to sit down now. But... deceive the deceivers. Yeah. You'll never deceive a deceiver in AA. And here's how it goes. New guy in the neighborhood. Just moved into Staten Island. At Tommy Bradshaw's house. He walks down the street to the neighborhood bar. Just to have a 7-up. Guy comes wobbling out. Half drunk. Gets in an imaginary car, starts an imaginary engine, and zooms off. The guy thinks it's a little strange, goes in, has a 7-up. Next night, same thing. He's going in, this drunk's coming out. The newcomer in the neighborhood, the newcomer, the newcomer in the neighborhood says to the bartender, who's that guy who goes out of the bar, gets an imaginary car, starts an imaginary engine, and drives off? He said, oh, he's here every day. He'll drive around in that imaginary car all night, come back when we open, stay all night, and drive off in his imaginary car the next night. He said, why don't you tell him the truth? Why don't you tell him the truth? He said, are you fucking kidding me? He pays me a hundred bucks a month to keep his car clean. <laughs> And that, my friends, was Joe H., AA speaker on YouTube, The Depth and Weight of the Program. This recording was recorded in 2002. Thank you very much to those who share it, and thank you very much, everyone, for listening. God bless you. This is uh, Welcome to Today's Podcast. We have Jimmy W., AA speaker, and absolute certainly. Please enjoy this clip. It's a little rough, the recording, but please stay with me. God, I don't know there's that many people here this morning. What do you think? I'd like to thank Jim G. for taking good care of me. We didn't overeat, but we came close to it. Uh, 
food was very good and the room was very nice and y'all have been very nice and Jim B and Don and Harry of course we probably it's good we never got together <laughs> good to be with Ted again and Ted and I have known each other for many years and we've talked about June a lot and so nice and sweet to be with you last night she sponsors a girl in our group. We have a girl that was smarter than everybody else, so she had to go to California to get a sponsor. <clears throat> it happens, you know. <clears throat> and she's better. Thank God for that. Group's glad, too. Everybody's glad. Everybody's glad June got in the picture. Well, don't know how June's going to be, but Sherry's better. I am Jim Williams, and I'm an alcoholic. Good to be here. Good to be here. It's a good place. You got a good AA here. Not that way everywhere. And I thought it was nice of you to let me come from 98 degrees to 70. Enjoyed that very much. 50 degrees in the morning. No wind. We have wind where I come from. You see mosquitoes, but they're... <laughs> We don't let them hang around. We blow them out of there. What's that new deal? That new deal where you have to have sex all the time? Um, codependency. <laughs> God, I wish I'd have thought of that. Wonder why in the hell I didn't think about that. You know, if I'd have thought about that, I'd have been making so much money, I'd just sent one of my boys up here. Wouldn't that have been something? Can you imagine that? God, God, Chuck Chamberlain years ago used to say, what controls you? Codependency. Why in the hell didn't I think about that? That's what it is. And what's good about it is everybody's got it. That bang never told you, everybody's got it. You can make a fortune out of codependency. What in the world didn't I think about it? I've been thinking about this since I'm late and didn't think about it. What if we had a quick fix? like a fast food thing. Fix you on the way home. Just a drive-through. We could get a chain of those going. Here we are, right? We go to Hazleton, tell them how we are. They write it down. Put it in a book. And we buy it because we identify with it. <laughs> I told my sponsor, I said, are we that sick? He said, yeah, we're that sick. <laughs> and that's other deal where you have to have parents to make you be alcoholic. Uh, if you don't have that, ten guy. It's, uh, uh, your parents are malfunctions. What? No, dysfunctional. Can you imagine an alcoholic calling someone dysfunctional? <laughs> We're the only ones that always function properly. <laughs> Too bad about parents and stuff. They just didn't function right. God, I can't believe we felt that sh uh, stuff. We'll fall for anything. We just fall. What do you think? Got the 12th program. What's it on? Toenails. Let's go. I've got them, you know. Did you see anything? What is it? 
Well, I'm in the place that's going to save me from everything I've ever, going to give me everything I ever looked for, everything I could ever hope for, everything I could ever wish for, everything anybody looks for, people that spend thousands of dollars to find it, I've got it, now I want something else. And that's the way I am. We really don't need to be that sick. We're sick enough anyway. Why? Why should we improve on it? I like self-help books. They got a bunch of them. Oh, now we're we're making things so damn popular it's unbelievable. People are making fortunes out of it. We're going. We're not doing well, but the people are doing good with us. And going there, it says, I was at a place where they had a bunch of little AA and the rest of it was self-help stuff. And this guy was talking to me. He hadn't done real well for 12 years. I said, look at those books. He said, oh, yeah, I've got a room full of them. I said, my God, go get rid of them. He said, why? I said, that's ex- you're trying to build up exactly the same person you're trying to get rid of. <laughs> my folks were not going to raise me to be an alcoholic. I don't know why, but they did not want me to be an alcoholic. In fact, it never entered their mind for me to be an alcoholic. They thought I should be a Southern, Southern Baptist. You know, we're the ones that pray for the Catholics. <laughs> well, they drink, you know. Episcopalians, they just got tired of being Catholic. Presbyterians, they knew it was going to happen. And the Methodists, they just didn't like water. <clears throat> I think I'd like to have been a Lutheran. They believe in doing everything just a little bit. I was raised in a little town out in northwest Texas. In Texas, you got 254 counties, and 250 of them are dry, which means they don't do nothing. You don't drink, you don't think about it, you don't buy it, we don't sell it, and you can't get it. You have to drive to get it. You got to go to bootleggers to get it. And they have a guy standing up there just like me, says, if you think it, you might as well have done it. Well, hell, I knew I must be thinking it. I didn't know what it was, but I knew I must be thinking it. Finally got to be about 13 which will happen to you if you do what I was doing one day at a time. <laughs> and one afternoon, I got in the car with this girl, and we slipped out in the country a little bit, got to mess around, and I got those funny feelings. They said, we've been, I told them about it. They said, we've been meaning to talk to you. See, I knew they had. You know we've been praying for you. You know, it's not like AA. AA said, so Jim laying in the ditch last night. If he lives, we'll get him. And this month, they hone in on you. They see that gleam in your eye and they say, oh, he's getting ready to think he thinks he does it, we'll lose him. So what you got to really do is watch them or they'll get you. And so when I told them about it, they said, meet us before, meet, you come and meet us before the funeral ceremony, uh, service. We got back there in that room and we all got down there and they just prayed, 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 prayed. Now when they said, now when you get, when they sing that last Stanza, you come down that aisle and you get saved. I said, what from? I haven't done nothing. They said, get up and come down there. And I walked down there, and it's kind of like an egg that don't give out any chips. They hug you and kiss you and tell you how great you are, and you know you're not, but hell, I like that. Then they throw you in the tank and the hangs of leaks, and you choke a little, but you come out all right. Went to school the next day and saw that girl came right back. I said, well, we're going to have to do it again. It didn't take. They said, no, you just don't do it. Well, they didn't know. I didn't know how to don't do anything. I didn't know. I didn't know how to don't do anything. I didn't know if they could just say, 
don't do that, they don't do it anymore. I said, well, how do you don't do it? Don't think about it. I said, I wonder why I didn't think about that. I thought, well, I'm two o'clock in the afternoon. I'll just go ahead and think about the rest of the day. When I get up tomorrow, I'll just never think about it again. Got up the next day and thought about it more than I ever thought about it for my life. I had no idea that I'm the kind of guy when I start not to do something, I'm going to do it all the time. And when I start not to think about it, that's all I'm going to think about. I used to try to wake up real quick before I thought about it. <laughs> Finally got out of high school. Had to go to summer school to get out of high school. I don't think I'm so dumb. It's just that I was always busy. So a guy walked by the car. He said, I spoke to you yesterday and you didn't even speak to me. And I said, I was having a meeting. He said, there wasn't anybody in there but you. I thought, hell, how many do you need? <clears throat> 30 miles away was a town that was wild and wicked. And I heard about it. It had beer joints, honky-tonks. And I told this guy one Saturday, that's before I knew you could do it during the week. We, I said, let's go over and find out what that's all about. And we drove over there and got one of, one of those honky-tonks. And my God, there was that deacon that I'd seen all my life with the warm girl in one hand and the cold beer in the other. I said, my God, let's get out of here. He'll tell Jesus on us. And we didn't even get to do it. You know, if you get caught before you do it, you ought to forget it. That guy said, well, he can't tell anybody. I said, well, you got a better shot with Jesus than we do. However, he was happier than I had ever seen him. And I liked the girl he was with on Saturday night a lot better than one he was with on Sunday morning. I used to think every time then, I said, God, when you see I'd see him every Sunday morning. He looked sad, and I thought deacons were just sad. Now I know, hell, he's just tired. We had two beers, didn't taste good, didn't feel good, and I was glad to get out of there. Next morning, I went to church, first time in my life I wanted to go. I thought, I'll bet you that he's old enough to get old enough, you won't have to go. There he was, sad like he always was. Then I had my first spiritual awakening. Maybe you can do it a little bit and just don't tell anybody. Went back next day, told my brother not to tell anybody. It's a big town, had two joints with the other joint, didn't see a bigger than you. Didn't commit adultery, would have, but I didn't know much about it. And you know how we are, I think about it all day long and drink a beer and forget it. Or if we do, we don't know where we did or not. And I learned how to drink, didn't even know I knew how to drink. You just drink one beer right after the other, get the feeling it's good, can't feel it all. Southern Baptist not allowed to dance, learned how to dance, fell down the dance floor, busted my nose, broke it. First, I did it five times after I learned how to do it. Blacked out, wake up the next morning, threw up, just like I've been doing it for years. <laughs> This guy called me and said, how do you feel? I said, God, I feel horrible. He said, oh, but you had a good time. I said, oh, well. <laughs> then I knew how to have a good time. You just go out and get drunk, black out, wake up the next morning, throw up. Then you know you had a good time. <laughs> Did not know you drank it any other way. I thought people who didn't drink like I drank, don't drink. They, now they're putting umbrellas in them. Just the only rainwater to get in there. They were already putting fruit and drinks, not mine. Too much acid is not good for you, you know. <laughs> I'm over at this place one Saturday afternoon about 
and I want to, I'm just walking in town, because I want to walk and stay as long as I can, because I put off drinking as long as I can until it gets near dark. So I don't want to get drunk too quick. So I'm walking by this post office, there's a sign out there that said, we need you. I walked in there and they did. They said, have you ever been to California? I said, no. You want to go? Yeah, we're leaving in the morning. I said, God, what do I have to do? Just sign right here. I'm already having trouble. I go with kids places I don't want to go so they like me and they don't like me enough. Somebody always gets my girl. The one that's supposed to be going with me, goes with, she goes with him. And my folks are already saying things like, Jimmy would never want to be doing that. Now, I've already done it once, getting ready to do it again. They'd say, Jimmy wouldn't be caught dead doing that. Wouldn't it be awful to be caught dead doing that? <laughs> Everything they knew I didn't want to do, I wanted to do. Everything they knew I wouldn't be caught dead doing, that's exactly what I wanted to do. And the things they knew that I wanted to do, I didn't want to do. So I went back and told them, I said, I'm going to California tomorrow. And they said, how are you going to California? You don't have any money. And I said, We're going, I'm going to the Air Force. We're leaving in the morning. They let me go and look a little funny. They're already getting that funny look. So I go back over to this little town, and we went to San Antonio. That outfit really operates one day at a time. And they're a funny bunch. They get up in the middle of the night, make the bed real quick like somebody's coming. Never did. <laughs> then they want to go eat. My God, it'll make you sick eat that time of night, even if you haven't been drunk. Then they're scared because they always walked in groups. <laughs> and whoever it was running our outfit thought we ought to go to take a, take a surprise trip, which means we're not going to tell you where you're going, so you can't tell anybody and nobody will know. Whoever it was running our outfit thought we ought to go to China. We're in the Air Force, so we go to China by boat. They, <coughs> I think they flew the Navy over and the Marines ran the boat. <coughs> There's a lot of Chinese over there. Uh, they have some hills and trees and a little rice, but they mainly just make Chinese. They, uh, they like it. And they're good at it, and they're not interested in doing anything else. They just, they lose some, but they're making so damn many that it doesn't make any difference. They just... Well, after you're over there about three weeks, you've seen all the Chinese you'll ever need to see. So I told them I was ready to come back home. And we stayed two years. Then we came back by boat. My folks says, where are you going to school? I said, I'm not going to school. Hate wouldn't be caught dead going to school. Hate school. Never going to school. Couldn't get out of school or went to school. They said, if you don't have that piece of paper, you won't even be able to apply for a job, let alone get one. Every person coming out of that service is going to have that piece of paper. Well, I proved my folks wrong. I gutted that thing straight through three and a half years, got that piece of paper, made sure that I didn't learn one single thing. I made sure, of course, I was going to pass it before I took it and that it wouldn't benefit a human being whatsoever. <laughs> you know what I like about you and I? We'll go to any length, even if it destroys us, just to be right. <laughs> you know, a lot of people won't do that. A lot of people say, well, I could be wrong about that. Not you and I. 
The only time we'll ever use that statement is when we're damn sure we're right. Then we might say, well, I could be wrong about that. <laughs> Having some minor difficulties with women. If you put ten pretty girls up there, I'll get the sick one every time. I don't know where I learned how to do that. I'd see some guys, they just go to one girl one night and one girl next week and change girls. You can't do that. You've got to make sure you've got a pretty girl, one that you can take home with, one you can be in love with, for God's sakes. can't just go with any girl. Take me about two months to find that precious, sick little thing. <laughs> then we'd be in so much in love about two months, I'd almost have to quit work. Then they'd just deteriorate from there on out. When I got the A, I thought, this is the greatest place I have ever been in my life. This is the first time I'd ever been where they had the sick women grouped. <laughs> <laughs> and I like both kinds. I like the ones who got sick doing it and the ones who got sick watching him do it. <laughs> Seemed like everywhere I worked, they wanted me to come to work on Mondays. <laughs> Monday's my flu day. I don't... <laughs> I don't have the flu on Thursdays, it's Monday. <laughs> and for some reason, it seemed to be necessary for us to make sure that all businesses operated properly. That's hard work, that they treat you right, they're supposed to treat you, pay you right, and then have to run the whole thing. Some of those places that fired me are still operating and doing it wrong. Which probably means that most of us are too smart to be in business. Finally lost a job, could not find a job, but every way I look for jobs, I'd get up every morning, I'd throw up and I'd spray. I'd go fill out one of those forms and ask you personal questions like, where have you worked the last 10 years? Now they're damn business. They even want to know where you lived. I like to move around some. And the people where I live like me to move around some. How are you going to remember all those zip codes and all that stuff? You can't remember that. They're the rest of the blanks you've got to figure out. I wonder what they'd like for me to say. Well, then you don't know them very well. That's hard work. The interview lasts about five minutes, then you can get out and go get drunk and do that just one day at a time. I saved this one place because I knew they had an opening. I knew I'd qualify for it. And I knew a guy there would help me get the job, and I knew I'd get it. Walked in there, and there he was, and this other guy was there, and he said, Oh, my God, you don't want this job. Yeah, I want the job. i got to have the job. I saved this to make sure this was the place I was supposed to go. He said, you don't want this job. Everybody knew what I didn't want. Everybody knew what I wanted. is always the opposite. Also knew there was something about me he'd like to tell me, but he didn't know how to do it. And also knew they was going to like it better when I left. So I went out, got drunk, waked up the next morning, threw up and sprayed. And I said, you know, I've been doing this for about 10 days. I think I'll take the day off. Went out to the golf course, named no leg, no piece of toast, went around the beer joint where my last spiritual advisor worked. He said, God, you need a beer. I said, oh, man, I'm a Baptist. We don't drink till noon. That's 1030. He said, drink this beer. You're sh I don't want anybody to have DTs out here on the golf course. So I drank half that beer and sprayed the golf course with it. I don't mind spraying if I don't lose my concentration. <laughs> You know, if you lose your concentration, start thinking about women or something, it gets your nose burns. Then you got to drink the rest of the day just to kill the pain. 
I knew how to meditate before I got here. I don't meditate that deeply anymore. Just me, God, and the commode. And you say, oh, God. And it's stringy. And you don't know where the end is. So you can't breathe, you'll get it back. <clears throat> so you don't know where they're going or coming. I know it's even... This is kind of an after-breakfast talk. <laughs> even in the hot summertime down there, you know, when you meditate that deeply, it's tiring. And you'd always just lean over there in that bowl. It's always just as cool. <clears throat> I told that guy, I said, I think I better go home and lie down. I didn't get to use those vibrators in those beds until... It vibrated until two years after I sober because I used it to vibrate all by myself. And I left to live with me. I'm supposed to call on hospitals. I'd get in the car this morning and say, God, I hate to go to that big old hospital, have a hard time finding a parking place. Time you find the parking place, you have to take that kit, go through the lobby, down the basement, wind around, go see that person agent. You know him. Hell, he's not going to buy anything anyway. See, so you don't even have to park. Just drive right on by. Wait till 1030, go up to Beer Jordan, said, had another bad day. So I went home and I got in the living room and I thought, what I need to do is commit suicide. Then those guys that didn't hire me will worry about it for the rest of their days. I was living in Houston then and I thought they'll put in the Houston Chronicle, Jimmy Williams commits suicide and they'll never get over it. But I didn't know how to do it. Now I see it on television all the time now. Suicide, call that number. <laughs> They've probably got pamphlets on softer, easier ways. Join our group. We're losing some, we're gaining all the time. <laughs> I didn't like guns because they make noise. I don't like noise in the morning. And they splatter all over everything. Razor blades were popular then, but I didn't, I didn't know what to do. I didn't, what kind of razor you use? Straight edge, double edge. What, which wrist did he cut? All they ever said was cut his wrist with a razor blade. He got two wrists. Which one did he cut? Which way did he cut it? Cut it this way, that way. Nobody had to call. I knew you couldn't do it in the living room because you get blood all over the carpet. And I'm always thinking of others. <laughs> so I went to the bathroom, got my old double-edged razor, and I, I realized, you know, we're pretty smart even though we haven't done it before. What if I cut the left wrist? Left side die, right side be alive. What if I backed out? thing I need to do is cut both wrists and I can just bleed and die evenly. So I cut both wrists. I'm sitting there on the throne thinking about those guys that are going to worry about it for the rest of their days. And the phone rang. And I thought, what if where am I going? I'll always wonder who that was called. <laughs> That'd be enough to run you crazy. So I put a band-aid on my wrist that quick. Answered the phone, that was the police. You know, police have been trained by ministers. They'll stop you about 3 o'clock in the morning. They'll say, come go along with me. I said, man, I can't do it. I cannot do it. I've got to get home. I'm supposed to be home at 7 o'clock. It's 3 now. I have got to get home. Then they have a personality change. They say, get out of the car. Then you say, by God, I'm not going to do it. Then they really go nuts, and you have to pacify them and go along with them. This guy said, where were you last night? And I said, I was right here. And he said, no, you wasn't. I said, how do you know? And he said, we was there. Then I didn't want to talk to him anymore. I know I did learn. Don't ever talk to anybody no more about where you've been and you do. 
I said, well, what do you want me to do? And he said, well, I'm going to tell you something, brother. You can either come down here or we're coming out there and get you. I said, well, I'll just come down there. He said, okay, you better pick up an attorney on the way because you're in trouble, brother. And I said, that'll take me in there for 30 minutes, but wait for me. I'm coming. God, I love to live with me. I can live a week and a half a day. God, I've had a hell of a day. Been out the golf course, threw up all over the damn golf course, come back, had an emergency meeting, committed suicide. Now I've got to call another meeting, and it's only 11 o'clock. <laughs> At $36, which was plenty to start a new career, I just put all my old clothes and stuff. I said, I'll bet you the Lord is trying to tell me to leave Houston. Now, I've been here too long. So I threw all my old clothes, clean clothes, dirty clothes, a few sheets and blankets and stuff. Had one piece of furniture, an old lamp, put it on top of everything. Guess I was going to carry the light if I could find the plug. Got in that car and sent the keys to the folks that owned the place. And I took out, waked up the next morning in a little town by the name of Brownwood with $7. And I said, well, now my folks are getting along. It's amazing when you know it's time to call home. So I call them collect so they would know it was me. <clears throat> they said, what are you doing? My famous words. Oh, just out riding around. <laughs> well, why don't you come by and have a cup of coffee? Oh, they will. I never shortchanged my folks. They're not going to get their money back. So I always gave them my very finest story. In fact, I got to listen to it, and it was so horrible, hell, I cried with them. I thought, God, if I'd known it was that bad, I'd left Houston three years earlier. I knew I had to sweat that old John. says, well, Jimmy's honest. Let him have a hundred. Ooh, but a hundred and seven. And you can almost go into business. So I knew I had to sweat that night. I knew I was going to have to stay there that night, and I knew I couldn't drink, so I went in that bedroom, never slept a bit, and I'd walk, walk, walk all night long. Next morning, as soon as daylight came, I started out, my aunt's already up, and I said, <clears throat> there was one little thing I left out of my story last night. While I was having all that trouble down there in Houston, I was drinking some. But I decided last night I shall never drink again as long as I live. You'll never have to worry about my being underfinanced ever again. I'll never drink again. And they just look at me still funny. In fact, I went back up there after I got an A. I said, do you remember that time? She said, which one? She said, well, I remember I turned around to John and said, what do you think? And John says, he's 33. He'll never live until he's 35. So when we saw you leave, we thought it's probably be the last time we'd see you alive. So I didn't know where to go. I remembered that I had helped a guy get a job in the Rio Grande Valley. This was in Fort Worth, where we were. And I thought, I've heard about the Rio Grande Valley has palm trees and all this kind of stuff. I'll just run down there. Stopped right out of Fort Worth. Happened to stop at a filling station and sell beer. And I said, how far is the Waco? And they said, 79 miles. I said, let me have three. Well, you know where the Rio Grande Valley is? It's the end. They got a little creek there. They changed countries. If you haven't found your bottom, it's a good place. <laughs> so I drove, drove about ten and a half hours, and there I was. And I called this guy, and for some reason he didn't invite me to his house. There was an old hotel where a drunk ran it, and he got me fixed up with a company trade-out deal. And I got in there for nothing. And I got in there, I never took my clothes out of the car. Every morning I'd come down that old rickety elevator, go across the street, get my short sock shirt, go back up, take a shower. Did that every day for three weeks. 
And dying in that place where he worked, they hired me. And then two weeks later, he left. But anyway, they hired me. And the reason they hired me was because I was breathing pretty good. See, people don't go to the Rio Grande Valley looking for jobs. They go down there playing. They go down there snow dodging out of the Midwest. Or they just go down there and shoot birds and have fun. Or go to Mexico. So they hired me. And for some reason, when I could get a new job, I could, I'd work seven days a week. And just get drunk and not drunk drunk till I got up into my place. And I figured out what my problem is. I've always been true to one woman. Doesn't work. What I need to do is have number one and a spare. And that's hard to do when you're drinking. Because you'll call number one and say, pick you up about 7.30 and if you're not doing anything, she'll say, fine, might be four or five days before you get by there. So it's hard to really get acquainted. Now my weekends are like this. I'd get off, I'd work Monday through Saturday noon, and I'd jump in the car and go to the golf course, have a heavy lunch like a six-pack and a cheese cracker, get drunk, black out, be home in bed by 6.30, quarter to 7, wake up 10.30, quarter to 11, go down to my beer joint, close it, 1 o'clock, whoever my best friends were, we'd drive on over to Madame Morris and finish the evening and wait till daylight. Sometimes we'd eat a little way with some cherish and throw it up, and then sometimes we'd missed it. Sometimes we'd drink, and we'd always drink beer Sunday to taper off into Monday, and sometimes I made it, sometimes I missed it. <clears throat> well, this particular Friday, I traded off with a guy that wandered off on the weekend. So I traded off with him, and I'm over at number one's house about 11 o'clock, blacking out. And evidently, sometimes we're just too honest for folks. Evidently, she did not know about number two. I evidently had never mentioned it. So I just merely mentioned that I thought I'd drop by and see number two on the way home. And that kind of upset her. So I said, but I want to go to the bathroom first. And she followed me in there. You notice they're putting carpet in bathrooms? That's because you all are having meetings in there. You need to have meetings out there where you've got couches and carpet and beds and soft stuff. Not in bathrooms where they got hard. Lavatories, commodes, and bathrooms. That's a bad place to have a meeting. So she followed me in there and I'm blacking out so I don't remember what happened. I'm living in an old faded green trailer in an alley behind the motel. I had rock yards a long time before they started putting them in. I'd see those weeds come up there and I said, you'll never make it. And then I'm laying there asleep. I've already learned how to wake up in total fright in my own bed, let alone somebody else's, some other place. And something goes, wham! God, I jumped up, looked down, still had my clothes on. I said, God, I bet I was going somewhere early this morning. Then I looked down there, old white shirt, and had blood on it. Blood makes me sick, you know. And they kept beating on that door, and you can't get out of those trailers. You only got one door, and the window's like that. You can't get out the back. Four knots on my head. Little blood. Uh-oh, I've wrecked my car. Please, I've wrecked my car. I have wrecked my car. Four big knots that big. My forehead's all knots. Opened the door, and that six-foot-four, 240-pound Baptist preacher said, Come go along with me. I said, Preacher, I know I look like I'm ready, but I'm not ready. I don't know where the meeting is, but I can't make it. Wherever it is, I can't make it. I'm just not ready. I'm not ready. I just, I just can't make it. He said, Get in the car. Got it. I said, I've got to have a beer. I've got to have a beer. I've got to have a beer. He said, There'd be no drinking before the meeting. I got in the car and we drove off. My car looked okay, so I said, I guess I wrecked somebody else's car. <clears throat> so I said, Preacher, I want to have to have a beer. I'm not breathing. I'm not, Preacher, I am not breathing. Preacher. I, you got to stop the car. He had to stop the car, preacher. I am not breathing. You know, Baptist preachers don't give a damn whether you can breathe or not. <laughs> we drove up in front of her house, so I'm assuming the meeting's going to be there. 
And I walked in. She did look like she might have fallen in a bush or something. I went to that bathroom and looked in that mirror, and I'm going to tell you something. She won. I don't know really what happened, but what I think probably happened is I lost my acre ribbon in that bathroom, fell in that bathtub, and she stomped me. Two weeks later, we got married. <laughs> we got married in the first Baptist church so it'd work. We got married at 10 o'clock in the morning so there'd be no drinking before the funeral uh, ceremony. I told her that since she had been married before and I was pure, that it wouldn't be necessary for us to invite a lot of people, but she could invite a few of her close friends. And about... 11 o'clock on Friday night, I'm going to be off again on Saturday. I'm blacking out again, so I call my friends. And when I get to the church, she's already there. And I start across that yard, my beer distributor golfing buddy came out of that church and stopped me and said, Wait a minute. i got to talk to you. You called me at a quarter of three this morning. We're not here to see you get married. We're here because we don't believe it. And I'm going to tell you something about all of uh, your buddies and your friends. The longest bet on your marriage is three weeks. But I showed them. I hung it in there for eight years. But my life changed. I had no idea how nice it was to get up, throw up in peace. Everyone, uh, I was always going to quit smoking because it made me gag good morning. So I'd grab those cigarettes, grab that coffee, and go to that bathroom, lock that door. She'd tell me what I was through that door. Then I'd have to get upset, go make the living, get drunk, come on and tell her what she was, and we did that one day at a time. Finally, I went back to that preacher, and I said, Preacher, this thing is not working. He said, You know what's wrong with you? You're missing the beauty of life. I said, Yeah. He said, Did you know the fruit trees are in bloom? I said, No. What you need to do is go home and get your wife and drive up the valley and smell the aroma and look at the blossoms. I said, yeah. <laughs> Went home on the door and said, get the car. He said, what for? I said, we're going to go look at the blossoms. He said, the blossoms. I said, yeah, we've missed the whole damn thing. So she gets in the car, and we, I go by and get a six-pack. We start up the valley, and I see a sign that says 14 miles to Matamars. Turn left, go to Matamars, switch to Kila, blackout, miss the whole damn thing. <laughs> Lost that job. Could not find a job. Couldn't find a job anywhere. Went for two months completely insane. And if there ever was another guy that drank like I drank, it's this guy. He was just as close to being a, a good drunk like I was. We were ideal drunks together. And he managed a drug company. So he hired me. Took him about six weeks to ship me to Fort Stockton, Texas. That's west, west Texas. Little trees out there about that high. You can see California on a clear day. <laughs> he shipped me out there, he said, to learn the drug business. He sent me out there because nobody else would go. I'm supposed to stand at a drugstore hold this pad, got lines on it, and these pharmacists call this stuff out and I'm supposed to write it down. And you can't do it, move it. You cannot do it, move it. And that pharmacist kept saying, oleomycin, I kept trying to get it, couldn't get it. He said, my gosh, you look like you're going to fly apart. I said, any minute. He said, well, take some of these. And this is really nothing. 
This was before Valium. Valium, I understand, both eyes crossed, you walk straight. <laughs> this is just Libium, which is absolutely nothing. It's just a little two-tone green and black, two-tone green. Oh, it is. Really, nothing to it. Hell, I took two of them. Nothing happened. I waited 15 or 20 seconds. And I'm used to something moving or burning or doing something. It didn't do nothing. So I took three more. Then my knees just went, huh? I said, God, I know how to weave. Now I've got to learn new stamps. <laughs> Everybody's ruined the drug business since then. You, I got it for nothing. Yeah, you know, God, I all want it. He used to tickle me out there. He'd say, you know, Jim, I'm a little short of 10 milligrams. 25 be okay? Be fine. <laughs> See, they don't know we don't go by milligram. We just go by size. <clears throat> so I took delivery in the daytime and drank beer at night. Had one decision to make every night after the third beer, never before, never later. If I'm going to go home early, I'll go get me a pint of bourbon after that third beer, and then I go home. Otherwise, I'll stay on beer and close the joint. I go to home, go home one way and one way only. The only way to go home, blackout. My perfect time was when I blacked out right at the door. Sometimes I was a little early, sometimes I was a little late, but I always drank to that blackout. Good blackout driver. Never had a wreck blacked out. Bad drunk driver. It's on the card what stage I'm in is how fast I go and what I do. If I'm in the right stage, then I can run all the lights. I could even hit stuff that's not even moving. I could. But <clears throat> some guy recommended me for a job back in Houston. Hadn't seen me for years. And I went back to Houston and that job, and I set up battle. And you know what's the name? We were finally had developed such a nice, sweet, deep hate for one another that we really were safe because the one that died first won. But we slept in two different areas because that was safer. And I lasted from March the 1st of 1965 till the day before Christmas Eve of 1965. I played golf with some of these in-laws and customers and their in-laws and, oh, what's the name and I set up battle. And I blacked out at their house, and I remember just doing some little something. Don't know what it was, but I remember I did something, and I don't know what it was. And I did the same thing I've done any time at anybody's house. I'd call somebody and tell them I sure am sorry about last night. And they would just say, it was okay, Jim, you just got drunk. See, I wasn't sorry about last night. I wanted them to tell me what I did, but they never tell you. Drunk was getting to be a bad word with me. Nobody called me an alcoholic. Drunk, I knew one drunk, and he was the old guy named Bratch that slept in the alley and drank that wine in that little old town where I was raised. And they called him the town drunk. And I'll never, never forget that. And drunk got to be a bad word with me. Guys would say, Jim, I can't have you at the house anymore. We like you, but we can't have you over because you're drunk. Drunk was getting to be a bad word. And that morning I did the same thing, and they told me the same thing. You know, what's your name? They <clears throat> gone next door, they're getting ready to have a uh, Christmas Eve party. This was on Christmas Eve. And I called in a group. I don't know where I knew, heard of it in a group. Must heard it on radio. The reason I like to see you got an in a group. Because I must have heard it on radio, and all thing I did, uh, evidently heard about Alcoholics Anonymous. So I looked under Alcoholics Anonymous and called in a group. And the girl acted like she was glad I called. I should have known then I had the wrong number. 
She said, somebody be right out. Well, hell, I waited an hour. Nobody showed up looking in the icebox. And it was 10, 15. They had three beers. And I said, I'll just call them and tell them I don't need them. About that time, the phone rang. And the guy said, be right there before I can tell them I didn't need him. Hell, he hung up. He came by himself because his wife was managing these apartments when we moved in. And he used to watch me going back and forth in 7-Eleven and saying, if he lives, we'll get him. So he came by himself, and I looked out the window, and she's gone next door, and he got a book under his arm, and I said, oh, my God, we're going to read that book and pray. I've not only been baptized, I've been rededicated ten times. I thought, just get rid of him. He came in, we didn't read the book, we didn't pray, I don't know what all he said, or what I said, or anybody said about that time, or what's her name, came back, and he said, you want to go with me? Well, I didn't, but it's better stay with her. So I got in the car with him, and I knew I'd made a mistake. God, I've gone off with a perfect stranger. I don't know who this guy is. And besides that, even though his car is better, I should have taken my car. I get on the loop, and I said, I'll buy a beer. I don't want a beer. God, I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. I waited about 10 seconds. I said, I'm going to tell you something. You're either going to have to let me off top of the freeway. I'm going to walk over there at that 7-Eleven, or you take me over there. I've got to have a beer, and i got to have one right now. So I got bad drunk last night. Besides that, it's 11.20. He said, can you wait till we get to the club? Oh, yeah, I can do that. <laughs> I can handle a total fight if I got a little light. So we drove, drove kind of a bad neighborhood, drove up from this rickety-looking house. I said, my God, is this it? He said, yeah. I thought, well, when I get some money, I'll help these folks. <laughs> Walked in there, and some of the deacons were sitting over there talking about women in the stock market, and I found out later they didn't know anything about either one. Went back there at the back, and the old bar had a hose in the linoleum. I bet it's old linoleum when they put it on the bar. And the bartender, he didn't look a hell of a lot better than I did. Program of attraction, you know. And this little deacon said, mix him up a little milk and honey. I said, my God, what do you put in it? I never drank anything like that in my life. He said, well, you see... You're used, you're nervous. I said, hell, that's what I've been trying to tell you. And he said, and besides all that, you're used to sugar in your system from alcohol, and the honey has already been digested. I said, indigestion is not my problem. If you throw up right, you don't have indigestion. I drank half of it, it curdled, came right back up. He said, don't worry about it, we have plenty. I thought, hell, I'm going to put on a show for these folks. One of the smart ones says, walk all you want to. Hell, I don't want to walk at all. I'm sitting there drinking that sweet, sweet stuff, walking back and forth. They're just looking in there. Got a new animal in here today. Just laughing and talking and watching the animal walk up and down the floor. Finally, about 4.30, he says, I think it's time we went home. And I said, yeah. And I said, now let me out a couple of blocks before we get to the park, but I wanted to slip in there and get in my car and go get some bourbon. Because, you know, beer would not cut that sweet taste. He said, don't drink anything. I'm going to pick you up in an hour and a half. I said, what for? We're going to a meeting. I said, where? Right back where we came from. I said, my God, we was there all day. So he let me out, and I walked, and then here he comes, and back over there we go. Kind of a funny-looking bunch. I saw two or three of them kind of laughing and hugging. The rest of them, they didn't act like this. Too glad to be there either. They started out with a little old prayer. Then some girl got up and talked two or three hours. They said it's 30 minutes, but I know it's longer than that. And they would just laugh. What damn thing funny. 
And then some guy got up and talked to him three hours. And they just laughed. I said, I'm going to tell you something. This is a sick bunch of people. <laughs> then they all got up and said, the Lord's Prayer, for God's sakes. I thought, isn't that something? A bunch of people here saying the Lord's Prayer. They ain't got to be to say the Lord's Prayer. And then about that time, just as soon as they got through that Lord's Prayer, everybody started talking at the same time. Nobody started listening. I said, I wonder how he did that. I'm going to keep my eyes open tomorrow night and see what he did. They didn't lay any hands. <clears throat> they didn't lay any hands on anybody. didn't do any kneeling or nothing or singing any songs. Me and the deacon were standing back there in the back. Nobody's speaking to us. And then I see the deal. Men and women getting together, laughing, holding hands, jumping in cars, taking off. I said, uh-oh. After you hear a little while, go to one of those apartments and have a little drink and talk about this damn thing. We went night after night after night after night, and nobody invited us anywhere. I've got the only deacon that nobody likes. It doesn't rain in Houston. It just falls out. One night he's called. I said, man. He said, I'll pick you up in 30 minutes. I said, it's raining. Do you ever go get a drink when it's raining? Uh, I'll be ready. One weekend, oh, what's your name? Number one. Had gone back to the valley. See if we had any friends left. So I just locked the door, pulled down all the shades, turned out all the lights, had nothing on but the TV set, an old phone just ring, 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 let it ring. Next morning he called and said, where were you last night? I said, I was right here watching television, enjoyed every damn minute of it, and I may do it again tonight. He said, well, you missed it. I said, what did I miss? He said, I don't know. I said, wasn't you there? He said, yeah, but I only heard what I was supposed to hear. We'll never know what it was you were supposed to hear. I thought, my God, you've got to go every night or you'll miss it. <clears throat> I went three months, got drunk, three months, got drunk, three months, got drunk, and I sobered up all by myself. And then I decided, I'm just really not alcoholic. The only thing that's really wrong with me is I've just always been underfinanced. And if I can get properly financed, then I can tell them all to take it and shove it. And I've heard they've got heavy drinkers. I'm probably just a heavy drinker. Well, I knew first things first. I need to go back and officially resign. So I went back. The meeting had already started. Evidently, I called him one morning about 2.30 while drinking. I doubt it very seriously. Uh, I think they'll tell you any damn thing they want to tell you. So the meeting had already started. And as soon as the meeting was over, I was started. Here he comes. And I start towards him so I can resign and tell him thank you very much. He couldn't even wait for me to tell him. He said, don't you ever call me again. I said, God, I'm glad you said that. I never called you in the first place. And I'm going to tell you something your best friends will not tell you. Nobody likes you here. We don't ever get invited anywhere, and they don't know me, so it's got to be you. And I'm going to tell you another thing. If I had as bad a personality as you do, I'd go back to drinking. And you don't ever have to. You look at me because it's the last time you're going to see me, brother. And I'm going to tell you something. If you think I'm going to call you again, you badly mistaken. I wouldn't call you if you was the last human being on earth. You have heard from me from your last time. And I turned and left, and he did till the next morning. Then I called him. He said, meet me at the club. And I walked in the club and he said, get your coffee and sit down. They talk to you like a dog here, you know. 
I'm going to tell you something about alcoholic stomachs, Al non Al Teen, Al Totten, Al Dog. Absolutely no failure here. Never has, never will, impossible to and cannot. There's no failure here. No way for it to fail. Not going to be any failure. Never has been, never will be. Provided you do exactly what we tell you to do the way that we tell you to do it. He said, now, there's only one thing that you're going to get to do. And this one thing, if you don't give an alcoholic a decision to make, they'll flounder on the same subject for years. <laughs> so we're going to give you a decision to make this morning. Now remember, this is the only thing that you're going to get to do. But you're the only one that's going to get to do it. You're going to get to decide whether you're going to go our way of life or your way of life. I said, I don't want to do either one. He said, I didn't ask you what you wanted to do. I asked you what you were going to do. I said, do you mean to tell me you don't care, the group doesn't care whether I want to or not? He said, not a bit. I said, well, if you'll make it perfectly clear to the group that I don't want to do it, then I'll do it. <laughs> he said, well, first of all, we've got to get some things straight. It's your thinking that's wrong. I said, how much of my thinking is wrong? We always start with all of it. <laughs> and if there's any, any good, we'll let you know. I said, you put a sign up there on the wall that says, think, think, think. And he said, that's for us. <laughs> he said, now we're going to give you some things to do and some things not to do. The things we're going to give you not to do is going to change. We're going to give you to do just add two. Then it's going to happen over here. I said, what's going to happen over there? We don't know, but it always happens. I said, I'm going to tell you something. I've been listening to you and listening to you. You've never listened to me. I have been listening to you. I listened to every word you got to tell me, and I want you to hear me. I do not understand. He said, and that's it, and don't you ever forget it. <laughs> that there's two things that you must remember the rest of your days. No matter what's going on in your life, you do not understand. Then you'll have understanding. And when you quit trying to understand, then you'll enjoy it. And the other thing is, no matter what your situation is, it's never the situation. It's never them. It's never God. It's never her. It's you that must become different. You must become different than you have ever been before. I said, how do I do that? He said, oh, you can't. What the hell do you tell me for then? He said, that's what's going to happen to you. And now I'm going to give you the kicker. This is the very one thing that got you here. But it's also the very one thing that should it not change will be the very one thing that's going to keep you from getting all the things that God has for his children. As long as you know you know, you'll never know. But when you begin to do what we tell you not to do and to do and begin to know that you don't know, then you'll begin to know. I said, hell, you're crazy. He said, I know. <laughs> so the first thing we're going to do, since you don't know how to not do anything, the first thing we're going to learn how to not do is drink or take a pill. He said, now, what you're going to do, What that card that I gave you that has my, num my number and four other men, no women, on mine. When you get squirrely, Definitely before you take a drink or a pill, no matter what time of day or night it is, you call one of those numbers. If you don't make the phone call, you didn't do it. 
That's what you're going to have to do to learn how to not do from now on. And make the phone call. Remember, if you don't make the phone call, you didn't do it. That's what we're going to do every day. When first thing in the morning, get down on your knees and say these words and these words only. God, take me today and do with me as you see fit. Let thy will only be done in my life. And help me to definitely not take a drink of anything alcoholic or a mind-changing drug. Amen. Do not need to tell God what he has not done. Nor what he needs to do. God can handle that all by himself. And then call me before you go to the bathroom. I said, why before I go to the bathroom? You may not need to go. I said, do you mean to tell me that you don't think I've got sense enough to know when I need to go to the bathroom? He said, we'll find out. They don't give you a lot of credit here, you know. Before I got down on my knees, I said, God, you and I know he don't know. Hell, he's a Presbyterian. But we're going to say and do everything just exactly like he says, so we get it up this time, we can tell him to take it and shut it. Got down on my knees, said that little old prayer, made sure I need to go to the bathroom, picked up the phone, called me. He didn't even ask where I need to go. And I said, go to the bathroom, meet me at the club. I made him the club, and he said, now go to work. I said, I hate my job. He said, what's that got to do with it? I said, well, I hate this so much, I couldn't go to work yesterday. He said, what'd you do, sit in that chair and think? And I said, well, the moon then what they ate with. He said, you don't know how to go to work. I said, how? He said, go get in the car. Write that down, we'll catch it. <clears throat> then he said, later on, when we learn more, we'll do more. But right now, besides that little prayer you say this morning, and when you get in the car and get ready to go to work, just invite God in the day. I said, how do you do that? He says, God, I invite you in the day. Oh, put that on the card and we got it. <laughs> then you got to come back to the AA club, walk in, everybody's there. Out loud, they'll say, get your coffee and sit down. Hell, I know to get my coffee and sit down, but they got to tell you. they got to tell you out loud. The idiot doesn't have sense enough to know to get his coffee and sit down. <clears throat> then when you're almost cutting and you haven't figured out anything they're saying, and he said, out loud, time for you to go home and eat supper and come back to the meeting. Hell, I know to go home and eat supper and come back to the meeting. Then I come back and after the meeting, he says, now go home and get on your knees and thank God for the day. I did not thank God. They've been miserable damn day. Ate you, ate God, ate AA. And I'm not going to be a hypocrite. He said to me, you mean tell me that when you pray to God, you think you don't mean it? And I said, that's right, and I'm not going to do it. He said, that has absolutely nothing to do with it. It's the action that you're taking that you don't know you're taking that's going to cause all the things to happen that you had no idea was going to happen. And once you take this action that you don't know you're taking that's going to cause all these things to happen that you had no idea was going to happen. By the time all that happens, what you think needs to happen will never need to happen. Well, hell, I understood that for God's sake. <laughs> I said, do you mean to tell me that God does not care when I pray to him whether I mean it or not, he said, not a bit. God is not going to depend on you at all for your relationship with him. He's going to take care of that all by himself. And I said, do you mean to tell me that you don't care when I pray to God and God doesn't care and the group doesn't care? He said, not at all. I just got in my car, went home, locked the door so what's the name couldn't get in there. Got down on my knees. Okay, by God, God, thank you for a miserable damn day. Amen. <laughs> hell, if he don't care and they don't care and God don't care, hell, I don't care. <laughs> 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 
did that for about two months. And one morning about 9.30, I didn't do anything any different that morning. And the other day, I'm driving down an old 610 loop right above Memorial Drive in Houston. And this God that I had never known as my friend moved in that car with me. And for the first time in my life, I knew I knew something different than I'd ever known it before. I knew I knew I would never need to take another drink of anything alcoholic or a mind-changing drug as long as I lived. Unless I myself insisted upon it. And I knew I knew it. God, he stayed with me all that day. I thought, man, the rest of my life's going to be just like this. I thought that afternoon, I said, you know what? I may get me a tent, some tambourines. Oh, Laurel, better look out. Jimmy is coming. I'm going to go save some souls. I might even let him go by and put up the tent. God, I couldn't wait to get back to that club. He's ten minutes late. Walks to that door. Get your coffee and sit down. The Baptist is taking over. Well, they don't like it too well coming back at him, but he did it. And I got him back in that other place, and I got him there, and I set him down there where I could look at him. And I told him the deal. And then I waited for him to make me the leader. I knew I was it. God had chosen me. He grinned just a little and said, Thank God we've got that over with. Now we can get started. I said, My God, that took a year. He said, Some are sicker than others. I said, What are you going to do about old what's name? He said, Ah, oh, my marriage, we're just going to leave it like it is. I want to send you to a guy that's got his all worked out. Send me to an Episcopalian. You know they don't know. This guy said, you still married? And I said, not really. Uh, I just stay there and she stays there, but we don't stay together. No sex, nothing involved. There's a new gal that I know the Lord has sent for me. And she's there. She's been sober almost a month. And uh, <laughs> they won't let me go with her. He said, do you remember when you got into Alcoholics Anonymous? You didn't fit in. You didn't fit back out there. And you were kind of lonesome and thought you were the only one going through that lonesome period? And I said, yeah. He said, if you're willing to go through that lonesome period in every area of your life, I'll not only guarantee a relationship with a woman, I'll guarantee a relationship with men and women you could never believe. And I'll give you a bonus on top of that. I'll guarantee you a relationship with Almighty God that you could never dream of. I said, I don't believe that. He said, isn't that wonderful? You don't have to. I said, what do you mean? It's the action. I said, I've already heard that. <laughs> he said, you're still married to what's your name? I said, yep, legally, but not really. He said, I've been praying for somebody to sleep with and nobody will. He said, okay, we'll practice on her. I said, you don't know. You've got to become different to live with anybody and live with other people, so we'll just start and practice with her. You're never going to tell her what's wrong with her ever again. I said, who's going to tell her? <laughs> he said, I don't know, but you're not. And you're never going to do anything to get Alan friends, children, or anything to work her around to get her to do what you want her to do. I said, never. He said, never. And you're going to pray for it. I said, no, I'm not. You pray for it. He said, I'll not only guarantee a relationship with a woman, I'll guarantee a relationship with men and women you could never believe. And I'll give you a bonus on top of that. I'll guarantee you a relationship with Almighty God that you could never dream of. I said, I don't believe that. 
He said, isn't that wonderful? You don't have to. I said, what do you mean? It's the action. I said, I've already heard that. He said, S you're still married to what's your name? I said, yep, legally, but not really. He said, I've been praying for somebody to sleep with and nobody will. He said, okay, we'll practice on her. I said, you don't know. You've got to become different to live with anybody and live with other people, so we'll just start and practice with her. You're never going to tell her what's wrong with her ever again. I said, who's going to tell her? <laughs> he said, I don't know, but you're not. And you're never going to do anything to get Alanon, friends, children, or anything to work her around to get her to do what you want her to do. I said, never. He said, never. And you're going to pray for it. I said, no, I'm not. You pray for it. He said, now I want you to learn this prayer because you're going to say it for the rest of your days about all different relationships. Say this prayer and learn it. And you may have to say it a hundred times a day in the beginning. God, thy will be done for her as well as for me. Take our relationship. Let it become what you want it to be and show me the truth. I said, I do not want God's will to be done for her as well as for me. He said, remember, what you want has nothing to do with it. So I started that prayer and said it all day long, every day. Then about two or three months later, that old sex, love, lust thing surfaced, and I didn't even know I had it. Now I knew what it was and I had it. Could not get rid of it. Told the sponsor over and over and over again, every day, every day, and God would not remove it. So I told the group. One of the girls said, you're not supposed to tell that in the group. So I went over and told another group. And one of them snitched on me. You know, we don't gossip here. We're just concerned. <clears throat> so he said, listen, we're, usually when you stop acting on any defect of character, God will transform your mind just like he did the alcohol and the drugs. And he'll transform your mind and remove it. That's not happening to you. Evidently, this is different. Once your name's gone back to the valley, you go over there, lock yourself in that apartment, and you and God, some way, deal with this thing. I went out and prayed and prayed and cried and cussed all day long at about 11, 12 o'clock at night and went to sleep. Next morning, that thing was gone. I thought, God, they were so smart, I didn't even tell them. Finally, after the fourth meeting, we were over eating ice cream, and I said, well, I guess I might as well tell you all this. Oh, we knew it the first night. I said, why did you tell me? He said, you need to know that you're going to always be the last to know. I said, why is that? He said, we don't know. <laughs> and I told him, I said, why isn't she going to Alnon? If there's any Alnon here, I want you to know I love you, love you. I really do love you. If you ever need anything, call me. They, they took her to you, and she found you depressing. And the more they took her, the more she found you depressing. So whatever you're doing, keep doing it. So I ended up getting a divorce. When, we, when I had nothing and she had nothing, we had nothing. If you want to get sick, make something out of nothing. And then I married me a civilian, religious, southern, southern, real, southern, southern, Baptist, and finally speaking in tongues and stuff. And of course, I hadn't spoken in tongues since I quit drinking. But, uh, and we were both in screaming badges, so it looked like it was going to be fine. And then, of course, we just grew apart. Where Elsa always says we grew together, we grew apart. And now I'm married to somebody where it won't work, and it's beautiful. Uh, finally married one that I would never be seen with. Wouldn't be anybody that you'd ever picture me being with. So I told them I wasn't going to do it again because I was too young. She was never going to marry again because of her bad marriage. And... Uh, so we were safe running around together. 
which, you know, the way I think, that's the way it works. And uh, my aunt told me, my Baptist aunt, Sunday school, said most ever woman is younger than you are now, I wouldn't worry about it. Which I thought wasn't too nice, but it was right. She's a Catholic. I'm Baptist. She's a Yankee. And I'm definitely not Yankee. In fact, I always was concerned when I got north of the Red River in Oklahoma. <laughs> and she's Al-Anon. And that's probably the thing at Ephesus. So at least I've got one Catholic that's not Catholic anymore. <laughs> Catholics do not like their people married Baptists. They do not like it. And that's too bad. God, wouldn't you hate it? And I've got the marriage today that has all the freedom and goodness. I even want to go back home. I never did do that before. And we really have had a great last six years and looking forward to more. God, wouldn't you hate to miss it? What if we'd have missed it? What if we had missed it? God. You know what we've got today? I guess it's good we don't know it. I guess it's good we don't know what we have. I guess we did. We screwed up. We got something that people spend millions of dollars, thousands of dollars to get. Can't get it. We just can't get it. And we've got it. We got it and wasn't even looking for it. Isn't that amazing? We fell into it. You know what you've done out there all that time? Exactly what you're supposed to. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Beat yourself to death doing what you're supposed to do. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? It's exactly what you're supposed to do. Get out there and get drunk, have car wrecks, have fights, and all that kind of stuff. Get in jail and raise hell and talk to lawyers and judges. Or get some of the judges in here. <laughs> but isn't that amazing that we got, we're it. We're in the deal. I don't know about other people. They don't tell me. They don't talk to me. But I know about you and I. I know what that does. Without a shadow of a doubt, we had to be. If anybody ever knew they were God's chosen people, it's you and I. Maybe you chose them all. I don't know. I don't know anything about other people. But I know I know things about you and I. He chose us. When, I don't know. Whether before we were born or afterwards, I don't know. All I know is you and I did everything we were supposed to do. We did everything to prove ourselves insufficient and to know God you cannot be sufficient. And you and I gave it everything we had. You and I did everything we could do to destroy ourselves and couldn't do it. Anybody that would go with us, we were willing to destroy them too. Which they can be grateful for if they stayed. Because they didn't get in now. Otherwise, they, if they quit too quick, they won't make it. Isn't that amazing where God put us? And it's the thing that he's got us in, we can't brag about it or nothing. Because you didn't know where you was going. How are you going to brag about saying, I went out there to get properly prepared so God could take me and do with me what he wanted to do? Did you know that's what she's done? No, you thought she was out there having children, trying to have life, become something. What are you going to do? I remember the Baptist used to say, you know, I'm only, I'm nothing but filthy rags. See, you and I did that. We experienced being a filthy rag. And experiencing it. Old Swaggart proved it to us. 
Hell, if I'd known he was having that trouble, we could take it in my car. You know, they wouldn't have thought anything about it when Swaggart did his deal. God, he helped me. God. He used to make fun of us, you know. He helped me. God, he helped me. Because my second wife got into all that stuff. And God, he helped me. See, he preached repent, but he didn't do it. He's sitting there with that old sex deal I had. He didn't even get to do it, for God's sakes. Riding around with a girl reading magazines. Isn't that pitiful thing to talk to us? We could have let him at least have one weekend. God, shame. But see, he proved it to us. He proved everything for us. He did it. Here's a guy that had all the anointing of the Holy Spirit. He had all the interpretations that God gave him from the Bible. God used him to lay the hands on the people. He used him to shoot those demons out there, however they do that. I don't know. But he did. And he got all those people in there, used him with that charisma that he's got to bring them all in. Did him. He had it all. What did he do? That, that, that one thing that we got. And we've got it. He admitted to God himself. And you and I see what we've got. He didn't do it. And we've got it. God gave it to us. And what is that? We admit it to God, ourselves, and what? Another human being. And that's it. That's the one thing. Bye. Isn't that wonderful? That you and I are in the place that Almighty God designed. That old stuff he used to say, he said, I'll prepare a place for you. He did. Were you all here? Yep. When? When I got ready. Did you know he was ready? No. I just found out I was ready after I was ready. <laughs> you know he was getting to where you were? No. You know you need to go where you were? No. Get there? Yeah, did. When? I don't know. Just whenever it was. Well, then that was the right time. And see, we're right on time. We're not late. We're not early. We're right on the button. Everything that's happened to you and I up through this moment was absolutely necessary because what? Because God said it was. Not because I said it was, or you said it was, or anybody said it was. See, that's the reason professionals can't do anything with us. See, we're going to the top dog, God himself, in my life. I go to no other human being for my life. Because, see, with God, I can become what he wants me to be, not knowing what that is, nor how it's to be done, nor when or the way it's to be done, nor what my path is going to be. But, you see, you and I have a path to go down. Nobody goes down there but you and I. I'm going to go down that path. I want to get some black on the way. But if I won't get off of that path, then God's going to transform me into exactly his image, as he says. And he's going to use me to do whatever it is that he wants done. And the majority of the time, I'm not going to know what that is. See, you and I have the edge today. You and I have the edge wherever we go. Because we're going to get some black. And we're going to get the stuff that the world does. Because the worldly way is not our way. But what did God say? God say, His people do not fit in the world. So you and I did exactly 
what we were supposed to do. We tried to fit, but couldn't. Because God's people don't fit here. He said, I'll create a kingdom just for my people. And he did. And we're here. And we're in it. And once I'm in that kingdom, then I get to live in the only power that overcomes everything. Every situation and everything. And I live in that power today just like you. And that power never, never fails us. When you and I call one another, when you and I meet together, when you and I invite this God into our life that day, that power and that God walks with us every day, every moment of every day. Just like it has been here this weekend. What a beautiful weekend we've had here today. Being able to be with you and me be with you. And see that power never fails. Thank God I stayed with you long enough to feel that God loving me that day. But the difference was you. My life was never to be any different until God sent me to be with you and you to be with me. And it didn't fail us here, just like it is right now, when I can feel you loving me and me loving you. Thank you very much. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to today's podcast. My name is Fernando. I am in recovery. I have recovered from a seemingly hopeless situation of drinking and brawling and out of my mind. Now, I'm not drinking and brawling. I am fully clothed and in my right mind. But, like my friends say, two out of three is not bad. I pray that you're in good spirits this morning, and God has blessed you and continues to bless you. Let's get into the Word of God this morning because it saves lives. Let's go ahead and say the Our Father. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. I pray that you get hope and comfort from God's word from my reading. I pray that these scripture selections will be inspiring and encouraging to you for years to come. Please dive into them. Get them into your your spirit. This scripture I'm quoting from is from the King James Version of the Holy Bible. This is a little compilation of scriptures put together by the American Bible Society. I guess this was given to the servicemen when they were out in the front lines. Joy. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. Psalm 126.5 They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. 126.5 Psalm 63.7 Because thou hast been my help, therefore in the shadow of thy wings I will rejoice. Psalm 63.7 Our soul waited for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart shall rejoice in Him because we have trusted in His holy name. Psalm 33.20-21 
I will see you again, and your heart shall rejoice, and your joy no man can take it from you. John sixteen twenty two. Peace. Now the Lord of peace himself give you peace always by all means. The Lord be with you all. Second Thessalonians three sixteen. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, 7. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world give it, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. John fourteen twenty seven. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Psalm 27, 1. When thou liest down, thou shalt not be afraid. Yea, thou shalt lie down, and thy sleep shall be sweet. Proverbs three twenty four. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. Proverbs 18.10 He shall not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is fixed, trusting in the Lord. Psalms 112.7 I will both lay me down in peace and sleep, for thou, Lord, only makes me dwell in safety. Psalms 4.8 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again unto lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. From the dead, 1 Peter 1.3 For thou art my hope, O Lord, thou art my trust from my youth. Psalm 71.5 Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart, all you that hope in the Lord. Psalm thirty one twenty four. Strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my strength, in whom I will trust. My buckler and the horn of my salvation and my high tower. Psalms 18, 2. Yes, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Psalm 23, 4. My flesh and my heart fail it, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Psalm 73, 26. Grace. For the Lord your God is gracious and merciful and will not turn away his face from you if you turn unto me. Second Chronicles 30, verse 9. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. John three sixteen. And therefore will the Lord wait that he may be gracious unto you. And therefore will the Lord wait that he may be gracious unto you. You ever wonder what the Lord is waiting for? He's waiting for us to ask. He's waiting for us to say, Uncle, 
He's waiting for us to say yes and amen. Yes and amen. I believe I receive. I believe I receive. Thank you for your word. Isaiah 30 verse 18. The whole scripture says. And therefore will the Lord wait. That he may be gracious unto you. And therefore will he be exalted. That he may have mercy upon you. It's amazing. Um. Scientists say that as soon as we put our eyes on molecules, they animate. They they move around. They, you know, they done studies that molecules are dormant until we put our eyes on them. And right here, saying the same thing: when we put our eyes on the Lord, then the Lord will be exalted, and He may have mercy upon us. I have a lot of crosses around my house and I heard someone say that uh, the victory is in the risen Christ, in the Holy Spirit, in the enthusiasm and the joy and the common sense. That the point I'm getting to, the cross, there's power in the cross, but Jesus is not nailed on the cross. He's... The cross is empty. <laughs> Jesus is risen. He's inside of me. He's walking around here and there. He paid the price for my sin, and I'm totally grateful. Amen. Again, the Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger, and of great mercy. Psalm 145.8 Only when I put my eyes on the Lord is the Lord able to be gracious because he's waiting on me and full of compassion slow to anger, and of great mercy. woo In Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it says, For by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Listen up. For by grace we put our eyes on the Lord, and we got saved, through faith. I guess the word faith can be taken as we focus on the Lord and we kept it long enough. It turns into faith. And that not of ourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of our works, lest any man should boast. All, all we did was look. Look at the scripture in Isaiah 45, 21 and 22, it says, And there is no other God beside me, a just God and a Savior. There is none beside me. See, he's waiting for us. Then he tells us what to do. He says, Look to me and be saved. I am the Lord God that gives mercy when you look to me, thus saith the Lord. And be saved, all you ends of the earth, everyone. For I am God, and there is no other that can do this. Isaiah 45, 21 and 22. One more time. And there is no other God beside me, a just God and a Savior. There is none beside me. Look to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth. For I am God, and there is no other. Isaiah 41, 22. You get a lot of people saying that God is not just. And, uh, but
But God is saying, look to me with a humble heart, with relax, and see the miracle happen. I'm God, and there is no other. The power will kick in, and it'll be evident. And he's telling, inviting the whole world to come in for salvation. There is no other God that will give us mercy and grace for our wrongs. Amen. In all thy ways, acknowledge him. Focus on the Lord and he shall direct thy path. Proverbs 3, 6. Psalm 73, 24. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel and afterwards receive me to glory. Psalm 73, 24. Psalm 119, 105 says, The word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. For thou will light my candle. The Lord my God will enlighten my darkness. Psalm 18, 28. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today's guidance. We thank you that you're guiding us in all our ways. We acknowledge you, Lord that you should direct our path. Lord, we acknowledge you that you will guide us with your counsel. (laughs) And afterwards, receive us to your glory, Lord. Father God, we're asking you, we acknowledge you for your counsel, that your word is a lamp unto our feet. In your light, we see light. In your word, we see light. We see guidance. Thank you, Lord, for, for your mercy. You light up our, our candle. The Lord our God enlightens our darkness. Amen. Thank you, Heavenly Father God, for this time we have a reading of your word. Make it evident in our lives, Lord, and help us to memorize it and be part of your kingdom. For your glory and your honor in bringing others to you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. I love you. I love you. I love you.